John, we've shared with the viewers about your impressive music career and your passion for the truth in the book that you've written, in your podcast, and in all of your other works as a creative. It, it's so good to be with you today. Thanks so much. It's so awesome to be here. I do want to know, why does your studio look so much better than mine? What, what is that? I was going to ask you, what John, did, going? You, did you get booked <laughs> for something? Are you in a jail cell? What's going on? <laughs> It does look, yeah, I'm, I'm on the road. Thankfully, I'm playing concerts, but we happen to be in this room. This, this is good so people can see this is what we really live like. Look at this. This is this it. Is this is the lifestyles of the rich and the famous <laughs> at its best. <laughs> hey, uh, John, Skillet's music has been playing in the Cameron house for at least 10 years. And my son began taking up the bass and you were one of his biggest inspirations. And he's gone on to now play the guitar. And when you went on one of his social media channels and you liked one of his videos, that was a huge encouragement to him. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh, what, what a privilege. Thank you so much. I love that you guys were listening. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know, your son is a shredder. That, that kid, he's not a kid anymore, but that kid can play a guitar, so go for it. Go for it. Oh, bro, you, uh, you're still such an encouragement, and uh, I want people to be encouraged uh, by your faith story. For those who aren't familiar with it, how did you come to faith in the Lord? My mom was a Jesus fanatic, okay, and I mean that 100% awesome. My mom loved God, and she made it her mission to teach her boys, I had two brothers, to teach her boys about the Lord. And so there was no choice in the Cooper family before school. Uh, my brother was four years older than me, so before he would go to school every day, we would sit. So in other words, from as early as I can remember, two years old, three years old, we'd sit before school, we, she would read the Word, she would make us memorize Bible verses, we'd have to pray together. That was my mom's mission, and I say that to encourage all of you parents, I'm a parent as well, this is our job. We have to instill this into our kids like my mom did for me. So I gave my life to Christ when I was five years old. I am so thankful to the Lord. I never had a testimony of you know, the backsliding and, and drugs and then came back. It wasn't like that. I've known the Lord since I was young. He saved me at an early age. His grace over my life has been so amazing. Long story short, my mom passed away when I was 15 from cancer. She struggled with cancer for about three years. She died at the age of 15, but she had prepared me. No matter what happens, God is good. You may not be upset with God because everything that God uh, does in the end will be for your good and for his glory. And she impressed that into me, and I have held on to that for all of my life. John, I, I love your faith story. It is so different than mine in that I grew up and I called myself an atheist. Here I am an actor in Hollywood. I didn't go to church. I thought that God was part of a different trinity, uh, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and God. Some people would say that, man, I grew up in church and like you, John, I don't have this juicy testimony of, of how I got into drugs and lost everything and somebody picked me up and, and brought me to a church and they feel like their testimony is not worth sharing because it, it wouldn't make for a good blockbuster movie. What would you say to them? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I mean, the great part of it is this. In the end, all of this is for the glory of God. All of this is, is not about us. It's not about how great my story might be or might not be. The great news is this. I used to not know God. I used to be dead in my sins, but I am saved now through Christ Jesus. So I always tell people, no, that 
great thing for me. I didn't have to have the pain. I didn't have to have the pain of disobeying God. There, there is pain and there, there are right. penalties and depression and anxiety. I didn't have to go through that. God saved me when I was young and, and praise God. I think that some of that comes down to sometimes we want to try to make the story seem better than it is. Let me tell you, if you are saved by Jesus Christ, that's as good as it's ever going to get. That's right. And when we go to the movies and we see uh, a great drama that makes us cry, we say, man, that was a good movie. But then we go to a comedy and we laugh our head off. We go, man, that was, that was medicine for my soul. Or we see an action movie or a romantic movie. They're all good. And when we're talking about our testimony, God is the author of every single one of them. And every one of those stories are good, like you're saying, because he's the best writer in the world. John, you, you, you wrote a book uh, called Awake and Alive to Truth. And in the, in the dedication, uh, you talked about your mom and how she taught you not only how to play music, uh, she taught you about the God that created music. So can you share with us a little bit more about how your mom was such an encouragement to you musically? My mom was a piano teacher. I've actually got a kind of a funny story that I don't know if you even know, Kurt, but my mom was a piano teacher and a voice teacher. My mom loved music. She sang opera music at the house. And so uh, when I was five years old, six years old, I went to my buddy's house down the street, and he had this thing called MTV. And, uh, of course, that's music television. Back then they played nothing but music videos. And uh, I saw Michael Jackson beat it. And I came home, and I sang beat it to my mom. And my mom gave me a holy booty She gave you a holy whooping. <laughs> a holy woman for singing the devil's music. And so it's kind of a funny story, but long story short, my mom would talk to me, not just about playing music, why music matters. What does it mean? Um, uh, when you play, for those who do music, you play a C and you play an E and it goes together and it is pleasing to your ear. There's a reason for that because God created a world of order. It is a world that's supposed to make sense when you do it the way God says to do it. And now that is an incredible metaphor, not just for music, that's for marriage, that's for life, that's for business, that's for everything we see happening around us. And I think one of the things we're dealing with in our culture now is uh, disorder, chaos. It is a, a generation that says, I do not want to play the C and the E together. I want to play the C and the C sharp together, which if you don't know music, that is grating to the ears because it's, it's chaos. It needs to be resolved. That's what we call it in music. You resolve the note to where all of a sudden it's harmony. And that is sort of, to me, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore us into a right relationship with God. I love that analogy because you could play that, that C sharp together with that E and someone might say, no, bro, the reason that you don't get it is because you need to expand your mind. You just need to open up and think outside the box. It actually sounds great. And that's what we're doing with sexuality. That's what we're doing with marriage. That's what we're doing with, with uh, government structure in our country now and, and all kinds of things. I love what you're saying is that we probably are not really creating music we're actually tapping into the laws of music that God created and embedded into the universe. And when we get in harmony with those rhythms of rightness and goodness and beauty, man, we start producing things that are a blessing to everybody. I think that is the absolute best way to say it. And, and, and it's also the metaphor, just to keep along the metaphor uh, that we're talking about with music and disunity, playing notes that are not 
that, that are grating to the ear, but other people go, no, it's actually amazing. Tell me, is that not what we're seeing right now? We're seeing like the book of Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what we're seeing in society now. They're saying, no, 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 you, uh, you can't do what God says to do with sexuality or with marriage or with all these things because you're living in slavery. So they've actually taken the freedom that we are supposed to have when we, when we adhere to God's laws and his designs and God's glorious ways. They are calling God's freedom repression. And then they are, they are flipping it on, on its head. And now we see the results. We see a generation of absolutely depressed, anxiety-ridden teenagers that are literally killing themselves at the highest numbers in our nation's history. We see the decline of our entire society into a, a sexual revolution that is ending in such degradation that we, we don't even have names for all of it. They're, it's all brand new. And God is still saying, I still have the answers. If you would obey my laws, you would find yourself in the flow of the kingdom of God. And where the kingdom of God is, there is liberty, made possible through the death of Jesus Christ. The band that everybody knows, uh, Skillet, has got an interesting name. How did you come up with Skillet and what's the significance? <laughs> this is such a dumb story. When, when it was, uh, for one thing, <laughs> I have to blame it on the 1990s. You were there, uh, Kirk. You know what the 1990s oh, yeah. was like. It was, it was almost like um, the cooler the band, the dumber the name had to be because you had to show that you didn't care what your name was. But when we all got together, it was actually my pastor who had said at the time, he said, John, I think that you would be good with this other guitar player from another band. You guys should start a side project, and if it, and you should call it Skillet because it'd be like taking all these different ingredients from different bands and throwing it into a skillet and making something new. And somebody <laughs> said, dude, that'd be really funny. And I was like, okay. But I never imagined it'd be 25 years, and now I'm stuck with the name. But hey, it was the 1990s, man. Bro, I, I'm so grateful for you. Thanks for, for sharing more of your story with us. And, and after this break, I want to dive into a conversation about the importance of truth. And uh, everybody, John has a lot to say about this, I can tell. So come back with us right after the break. John, you've publicly shared that in 2015, you were in search of some answers as to what was going on in the world. Why, why were people becoming more and more divided? You, you were noticing people who seemed generally aligned on, on most issues are now disagreeing so dramatically about so much, especially within Christian communities. Uh, and you read like 200 books in three years and you were really trying to figure out what's going on. What did you learn? I mean, I think what was going on for me was this seeing this shift in philosophy, not just in, in the church, not just in America, in the world, away from absolute truth, I, that had never entered my wildest dreams. So I, was, I just kept saying, what is going on? I don't understand the language that people are using. I don't understand what they mean. And it was even coming into Christianity. And I think that that threw me, it kind of frightened me it, and it confused me and I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And so for me, I just came to this place when I thought, you know what I think is going on? We even in the church, we no longer believe in absolute truth. We've moved into what I would call a little bit of a postmodern Christianity where I can read the Bible. You can read the Bible. It can mean one thing to you, something completely different to, to me. And 
who's to say that you're not right? You can you can drop from the Bible what you want, and I'll drop from the Bible what I want, and take it out and omit it and add things to it, and it has created this utter confusion. And so that is why I got so passionate about wanting to talk about the Word of God that never, ever changes. You can build your life on the Word of God, and you don't have to be uh, you can be at ease. How's that? You can be at ease. You don't have to worry that you're going to crumble and fall away. You don't have to worry that you're going to lose faith and this and the other because you're on the living word of God and he, and he never changes. So there's many people who don't root their definition of truth in the word of God. And so for them, what is truth? What, what, what is the definition of truth for, for all these people that don't use God's word? Well, I guess I would probably say this, even for a lot of Christians, unfortunately, because they're young and they've been raised in a culture. They don't know that what they're being taught is is wrong or different even than historical Christianity. I think that the way that a lot of the world defines truth right now would simply be this, the world the way I think it should be. That's kind of like what they mean when they say something's true. So when you turn on the news and you hear somebody come on and say, uh, she came on and she shared her truth. He shared his truth. Right. Tell us your truth. They actually mean something by that. And, and when I first started hearing, I started saying, why are they saying your truth? What do they mean by that? They actually mean something. What they mean is, is a version of truth that I can find from my own lived experience that gives me a secret knowledge that you, Kurt, can't have because you never walked in my shoes. So you can't understand truth the way I can understand truth. So it's a little bit of a of a twist. And so now it's not absolute. It's dependent upon experience. It's dependent upon identity groups, which is what we call identity politics. And now you begin to define truth based on the color of your skin, whether you're male or female, whether you're heterosexual, whether you are Christian or, or you know, you could fill in the blank with all these categories. Now it, it's all kind of jumbled up. That has even entered into the church now, into the way that we we look at theology and somebody says, yeah, but that's just your Western patriarchal interpretation of the And now, now you're at a real problem because the word of God is supposed to mean something. And we all admit, we, we all get it wrong sometimes and we wrestle, but the word of God still means something. God still meant something when he said it. And so what we need to do is find out, Lord, what do you mean when you say this thing that we have written in front of us? Not what do I feel, what do I want to be true, what do you mean, and whatever he says is right. Some people would say, you know, I kind of, I think it's more fun to believe that there is no absolute truth. It just, it just opens up my options. If someone discards absolute truth, what's the danger of that? <laughs> right. I, I would say this, the danger of discarding absolute truth is exactly what Jesus said during his ministry. Jesus says this. There's two kinds of people. There are people that hear my words and they believe them and they obey them. Well, that guy, that's like somebody that builds his house on a rock and a, the winds came and a tornado came, but his house stayed firm. The other people that hear my words and don't obey them is like someone that builds their house on the sand. The wind came and it destroyed the house. That's precisely the danger that people are in. If you do not believe in absolute truth, the thing that people need to recognize is that if you don't believe in absolute truth, you have literally nothing to build your life upon. And that is not just philosophy. That is in, a, in your marriage. You know, how do you know, how do you know that marriage is even worth it? Why would, why would your spouse even be faithful to you if truth isn't even, 
how do you know it's true and how do you not know it's true? In other words, everybody kind of believes in absolute truth to a degree, even if they say that they don't. John, for somebody who's struggling to know the truth about God and they say, you know, I just, I didn't, I don't know who God is and I've got so many people telling me that, you know, God is like this or she is like that or it uh, really has no laws that you just sort of figure it out as you go. How does someone determine what is true about God? One of the things that I think young people are struggling with and I feel really bad for them they're struggling with this is because they have been raised in a culture that has really been rooted in a lot of our 1960s revolution thinking. And to, to what they've been taught is that what's important is not reality. What's important is not what you actually see with your own eyes, what you can touch, what you can feel. That's what we talk about, about absolute truth. So it's, it, they're like, that's how it's important. What's really important is the way I feel. In other words, it's, a, it's like you're diving in on the inside and the end result, um, the end game of all of life yeah. for this generation is feeling good. It is therapeutic. I just need to feel happy with myself and be my most authentic self. That is the reason that they don't mind uh, discarding absolute truth because it doesn't really matter. I just want to feel good while I do it. What I would say to people is that the end of that diving into the inward is absolute chaos. That is, yeah. that is a moral anarchy that you will never be able to, to swim out of. My, my, I, here's how I would answer them. I would just say this. How is it working out in your generation? How is it working out for your friends? We live in the most, um, f the freest time in all of human history. People are nicer than they've ever been. People are more tolerant than they have ever been. There is more equity than there has ever been. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be your most authentic self. At the same time, the highest uh, teen suicide rates we've ever had in our America's history, anxiety rates skyrocketing amongst young people, depression, uh, d divorce rates skyrocketing. People are not getting married. People do not want, want to get married. People are not having kids. We are not even having enough kids to repopulate the earth for the amount of people that are dying. So in other words, we will go extinct if we don't start having some kids. So what I would say to people would just be this, how is it going? How is it going in life? It would be better to look at the world, see the world the way it is and recognize I am the creature and I am in a, a real world where there is a creator and I need to find where I belong in this world under the maker. I love that. That reminds me of a picture that a pastor painted with his words and said, we're like those, we're like creatures inside of a box. And we can spend our whole life trying to figure out how we got inside of this box, who we are, why we're here. But our only hope is the one who's outside the box, who put us inside to open up the box, come in and explain it to us. And that's the source of truth. And, and, and of course, we believe that's what God has done in the Bible and what he's done in the person of Jesus Christ. So thank you, John. Young people who are listening right now, if you're feeling confused and you're trying to make sense of all of the chaos, don't believe the lie that all you have to do is look inward to make sense of what's true out there. Rather, look out there to the God of truth to make sense of the feelings that you have inside. And he'll give you truth and he'll give you purpose and identity. What do you hope someone walks away with after reading your book, Alive and Awake to Truth? The last chapter of the book brings it down to a decision that, that there is to be made. There's really two ways to find truth. 
number one, you can try to look inside and try to figure it all out on your own. And I think that you will find you will end up in the place we just discussed. It's going to end up into chaos and confusion and sadness. The other way is to do what we just said. We, we look at a God who created an orderly universe. And the book ends with saying this. You can have that relationship with Jesus today if you will repent for your sins and be born again through Jesus Christ. So I hope that people in the book realizing that there is hope and, uh, and that is found in Jesus and there's a decision to be made. You can choose life or you can choose death. Keep going the way you're going or find this great peace in Jesus. And I hope that it's just that simple for anybody, whether you have a Bible degree or a, you're a philosopher or you're someone that says, I don't, I'm not really deep. I don't understand stuff. It's a simple decision to be made. And I hope that the book says it simply enough. John, you quoted someone, uh, and I love this quote, in an acceptance speech that you gave at the uh, 2021 Caleb Fan Awards uh, for Book Impact uh, Award. You had quoted Hugh Latimer, who was speaking to Mr. Ridley as they were about to be burned at the stake. And he said, Mr. Ridley, play the man. What is that all about? Oh, man, what a powerful story. For those who don't know, this is, this is in, recorded in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And what, basically what it is is this. Um, in, in the Reformation, you, what you have is people who, who believed so firmly in the idea that salvation was through faith, uh, through grace, through faith in Christ alone. It is not by works. It is not by doing all the right stuff. It is because Jesus paid a penalty for your sins. Great news. And they believed it to the degree that they were being persecuted for their faith. They were being burned alive as martyrs. And so, as you just said, he says to Mr. Latimer, they're about to be martyred. They're going to be burned at the stake together for what they, for what they believe. And he says to Mr. Latimer, play the man. And what, basically what that means is, is this. God has a role for you to play. And what your role to play right now for his glory and for the gospel to be spread to all the earth, the, that role right now is that you are going to have to suffer for the cross. And I know not everybody gets excited about suffering for the cross, but we live in a time right now in 2022 where Christians are being called to suffer for the cross in a way that we were not five years ago. What I wanted to get, what I wanted to get across was this. God has a role for you to play. He has a role for me to play right now. It is going to cost us something for the gospel, but the reward is so much greater that the message of Christ would be known, that some would come to faith, do everything that you can do, that some will be saved. And uh, it is encouragement to people. It's time to start standing up for our faith, and it's time to start standing up for the gospel while it's still legal to do so. I don't know what the future holds, but we are in a dangerous time right now. But I believe if enough Christians will get loud— and if enough Christians will get passionate about the gospel and about uh, defending liberty and, and defending our right to share the gospel, I believe that we will see an absolute revival in our nation. John, the next topic that I want to get into is your podcast, Cooper Stuff. We'll be back right after this short break.
John, as I've already mentioned, uh, we know that you have a podcast, Cooper Stuff. Now, with everything else that you have going on, furniture building, you're, uh, you're touring around the country in a band, uh, what made you want to dive into podcasting? The truth is, it is a lot of work, and uh, when you do podcasting, you make a lot of people mad. But the truth is this, I felt the Lord speaking to me that he was shifting my, my mission a little bit. He was shifting my vision a little bit, and it was time to move from just a proclaiming Jesus stage into a little bit more of a defending the faith stage mm. because we are seeing droves of Christians fall away from the faith, droves of Christians fall away from believing in the authority of Scripture, and their lives are falling apart. And I was devastated by that. And what I, and I said, God, what can I do? And I felt the Lord saying, it's time to start defending the faith. And this is kind of what you're walking into. So I started doing a podcast and I just tried to say things simply, easy, I hope, explain to people what's happening and what I believe the Bible says of how we should live. I love it. Man, you are speaking my language. Your first episode in the podcast was called What is Love? Why did you start there? You know, the truth is that the first probably 10 episodes or maybe 15 were very different than what the podcast became. The first ones were meant to be more fun, and I, and I would make a lot of jokes. I would talk about things. I was trying to find this middle ground where I could talk about Christianity, but in a way that wasn't maybe too offensive to all sorts of people to try to cast this wide net. And because I was seeing all the vitriol that was happening, and I, and I didn't like that. I just started realizing the truth is, is we're not living in a time that, that that is being made possible because the world has changed so much. It's just going to have to be time to speak truth to what is happening. But what is love was a fun one because it, it actually came out on Valentine's Day. So I used it as, as an episode to say, I've been married for 23 years at the time. And in the music business, you're not supposed to tell how long you've been married because people they go, oh, don't tell people because they'll know that you're old or that, you know, you're not available. And I've always celebrated my marriage to the rock world because I, marriage is beautiful. And we need to see stories of faithfulness in the, in, in the entertainment industry. So that's why I started with that. Here's a couple more topics from some of your episodes on the podcast. The power of music. W what was the message there? Power of music is, is kind of quite important. See, I think the secular world has understood this more than the Christian world, to be honest, which I think is a travesty. The secular world is understood. If you go back and you look into the past, you want to know where civilizations, how they rose and how they, how they fell. What did they believe? What are the pillars you're going to look at is art. Art not only shows what a, a, uh, a civilization valued or worshipped, but art also shows how, how people change the culture. And for people that don't believe that, just do me a favor. Think about the 1960s sexual revolution. What do you think of when you think of the sexual revolution? Most everybody imagines a video of rock bands singing about free love and hippies and war sentiment. That was music being used to propel the culture. I think that Christian music has done a good job of saying what we value, which is worship. We worship God. We haven't always done the best job of being the counterculture and so what I'm talking about, power of music, is I think the Christian music should have an element of John the Baptist saying to Herod, you are defying God with your sexual immorality. There is an authority above you. You need to repent. There's an issue there that I think Christian music has either lost 
or, or maybe never had. I'm not sure. Maybe they had it in the beginning. I think that's a prophetic ministry, not just the worship ministry, but the prophetic counterculture to the sexual revolution and the anti-Christian revolution. I think we lost it because if we go back to the original Christian music, we go right into the book of Psalms, which were war songs, and there was lots of imprecatory prayers, and there was lots of holding people accountable, especially kings, right? Yes. Kiss the son lest, lest he be angry. Amen. <laughs> yes, 100% amen. You just nailed it. That was the awesome. I love the one. I love the one when David remind the nations they are but men. That's right. And I'm so thankful for what you're doing and all that you're saying to a young generation today, John. Uh, what's your take on today's YouTube and TikTok influencers? Do you think that's a uh, is this is this producing more good or more confusion? Oh, that's an easy answer. <laughs> more confusion for sure. It's I mean, the world would be a much better place without social media. However, there are a lot of people beginning to use it for good. And, and you know, I was very against it for a long time. Influencer, kind of like, uh, they're like demagogues. And so I don't like it. It's not good. But we can use it for, to, for good things. People are watching influencers every single day. So now there are a lot of Christians beginning to use it and using it as an example. I don't care about building my platform, but I can use it to try to make God more famous. I can use it to encourage some young people to, to be pure in their lives towards Jesus Christ and this and that and the other. So I say that this is the world we live in. Let's take it away and let's use it for a good thing. You've probably been just as grieved as I have when we hear stories about some of our heroes of the faith, whether they're pastors or they're musicians or they're apologists who fall from their platform. They fall morally into disgrace, not only personal disgrace, but disgracing the name of Christ and disappointing and, and, and hurting people. Are you sensing that this is a, a new trend or is this something that's, that's been going on for a long time? Well, it certainly seems that it is a new trend. Now, I'm sure there are people say, oh, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always happened. Of course, it's always happened. But it hasn't happened like it's happening now. This is, this is like a large falling away. And I think most people watching have noticed that, not just with influencers. You've probably noticed it in your own friends, in your own churches, with these philosophical shifts that are happening. We weren't really prepared for it. And so all of a sudden, there's all these people that are influencers, and, and when they fall away, they make a huge stink about it. That's what I find so disheartening. And there is a difference between people that you know and love struggling with their faith, ha wavering in their faith and saying, I just don't know if I believe in God. You, you suffer with those people. You pray for those people. You make it easy for them to come back. You, you want that. But when some of these people on these big platforms fall away, they follow a huge, and they try to take as many people with them as possible. We've seen that happen. This will make some people mad, but when that happens, they, they a lot of times become enemies of the gospel. That is what has made me a bit angry in the past, and that is what I'm saying, hey, you have to watch out for these kinds of wolves. We love them. We pray for them. I want them to come back to repentance. But when you see them start trying to take people with them on their devolution— I, I man, we got to protect these young people. We got to protect the sheep and we have to get a little bit loud. And sometimes that's just the way it's got to be. 
I, I agree with you. I think sometimes we get afraid within the family of faith of being accused of um, not being loving enough and we've strayed into this, this hyper grace, hyper mercy, hyper love, love, love to the point where we are no longer protecting the sheep from the wolves. And there are wolves and there are those out there whose hearts are filled with wickedness. And, and hey, we're all sinners, but there are those who are looking to take down the flock and we need to be standing on guard like watchmen on the wall uh, with those kinds of people. Listen to this story. Uh, I'm sure you know it of Robert Robinson who wrote the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it's a great song. And there's this story of how the author of that song which has a lyric that prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, that he himself was riding in a carriage in England one day and heard a young lady that was in the carriage humming that tune and he said to her, ma'am, I would give everything in my life to feel and to, to have the kind of faith that that song speaks about. And she says, why do you say that? And he said, because I'm the writer of those lyrics. And uh, wow. I, just, I just wonder, is there something about artists that are more prone to wander? Is that something that's in the heart of every person? Or, or, or is there something about a creative and an artist that just seems to be more uh, vulnerable to those right. kinds of things? We all have that tendency of being prone to wander. I think most people would agree. There is still this wrestling going on, right, between what I want to do and, and sometimes the things that I don't want to do, right? There's this wrestling going on, and I believe, I believe there's an answer for that, though. I believe that is, that is fresh time with God every day, with the Holy Spirit. Every single day does a work in my life. When I open up my Bible, I find those feelings of being prone to wander. Those feelings go away 30 seconds into reading my Bible. That's what I find. But if I don't read my Bible, those feelings come back again a little bit more often. A lot of artists would say, though, yes, there's something about being an artist that you're, you're always so emotional. Emotional people tend to make great art. There is something about the emotions there that need to be reined in. And I think for artists, the more we rein in our emotions, we bring those emotions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right. The better off we're going to be. And, and so I think a lot of artists would probably say that. John's going to stay with us to talk more about his music and what's next for Skillet right after this message. John, let's talk more about your music. I think everybody uh, will quickly recognize that the Skillet's music it does not sound like the Gaithers. <laughs> Tell us a story or two about the impact that Skillet's music has had on young people with regard to driving them deeper into their faith. Oh, man, I have so many stories. I mean, I just, I'll tell you, just we're on tour right now. Last week, we had a VIP, and this wasn't a young person. This guy must have been 50, probably 50 years old. He came to the line, and he said, he said 10 years ago, he said, I was a meth addict. And I was not a Christian, never heard of Skillet. The radio is on. He said, I heard one of your songs on the radio. And he said, I don't know what it was about that song, but it drove me to call and, and put myself into a, you know, to a place for addiction. While he was there, he became a Christian. 
this, he it broke his addiction to meth and he said, I committed my life to helping people that were like me. He said, it's 10 years later. Mm. He said, I am now a counselor at the very program that I went into because the power of Christ set me free from addiction, all from hearing some dumb rock bands. At a skillet concert. I just heard this song, actually on a radio. And I was like, I can't believe that God can do something like that, but God can God can do anything. If he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through people like me and Kirk, okay? That's right. So I, have, I, I, I could tell you a thousand stories that I honestly find hard to believe, except that I do know that music does something to the heart. I don't know what this is all about. I go back to the Old Testament with Saul. Saul, you know, the King Saul was being tormented by demons. And he says, I need somebody to come play music for me. They bring a young David with his harp. David plays and the anointing of God, I don't understand it, drives these demons away. I don't understand how this works. All that I know is that music makes people soft. It makes them feel understood. It makes them open to hearing things that they might not be open under other circumstances. And then the Holy Spirit does the work. And I'm so excited when I hear these stories. I heard that you were once told by somebody who was very influential in the music industry that Skillet could be the next biggest band in the world if you just do this one thing. Stop talking about Jesus. Just just lose <laughs> yeah. the Jesus part and you guys could be the greatest in the world. But by doing that, that would not only mean you need to rebrand your entire band, but but change the purpose of why you started the band. So how did you process all that and how did you respond to him? Yeah, that's true. He came up to me and he said, whatever you do, never go on the show takeaways with Kirk Cameron. It's the <laughs> worst thing. No, you know, that, yeah, that, there uh, could have been some wisdom in that. <laughs> Don't do it. It's going to be bad. Yeah, I wrote, actually, I have my book here. I'm going to show it to you. Look how beautiful this book is. Come on. It's black and gray. That's I the like best it. colors. Okay. But it, I did start the intro to the book with this story. Because at the time, not a lot of people knew us. We were just beginning to sell some records. And he was a pretty important guy in the industry. And he said, John, I think you guys could be the next biggest band in the world. You've got to stop talking about Jesus. Don't do Christian radio. Don't do Christian interviews. Don't do Christian concerts. People don't take it seriously. And then he, But then here's what was confusing. He said, John, I'm not saying not to be a Christian. Just don't talk about it. And then he said, just do do social justice. He said, imagine how much you could help the poor if you got rich and famous. And in the end, isn't that what Jesus wants you to do anyway? So he began kind of twisting, you know, twisting things. And you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the serpent in the garden yep. uh, saying to Eve, did God really say that? That's right. And uh, God used that moment in my life. This is 2011. God brought the scripture back to my head, to my, to my mind. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you do not confess me before men, guess what happens then? God brought that scripture back to me. And it was then that I realized how much uh, lies can sound like the truth. And that's how the devil does it. He, he doesn't just come in and say the craziest lie you've ever heard. He adds something to the scriptures. He takes something away from the scriptures. And that's what the devil is doing to a lot of people today. 
I've always thought that when people say, you know, when you talk so much about Jesus or you're singing about, you're just preaching to the choir. And I say, yeah, but what you don't understand is that the choir has been ordained by God to change the world. You see, underneath those choir Ooh. gowns, they have their, their military fatigues under there. And as the loving army of compassion, they're going to go out and change the entire world. And it is an honor to be speaking and preaching and singing to the choir. That is so wonderful what you just said. I wish I had said it like that, but I do think that that is a great rendering in my mind, theological rendering, for those who read the Bible of Ephesians 4, when uh, it says that Jesus gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, for the equipping of the saints to do works of ministry. In other words, it's it's not me on a platform, it's not Kirk, it's not... Franklin Graham, that's not who's changing the world. It is the individual members of the body of Christ as you go to work, as you go to school, as you train your children. That is who is doing the works of the ministry. That is where the revival happens in relationship. So even if we are, quote, preaching to the choir, we are training the choir up that all of us can go to our respective callings and spread the great news of, of Jesus Christ. Boom, you said it. That was good. Some people don't like the word dominion, something too aggressive about that, yet you chose it as the name of of (laughs) one of your albums. Why why do you like the the word dominion? I probably like it because it is aggressive. (laughs) It matches my personality, doesn't it? You know, I like the word dominion for a whole lot of reasons. For one thing, the Bible uses the word dominion. Daniel 7 is where I got it from. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That is so wonderful. His kingdom is one that shall never pass away. I call it dominion for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're living in a time where the world is very confused about who owns the world. Jesus Christ owns the world. He's, right. He is reigning as the king of kings as we speak right now. Number two, even Christians who I love, this isn't, I'm not beating Christians up, I feel you. Christians are confused of who owns the world because the world is getting so dark and we get fearful and we get scared. And I want dominion to remind them, no, 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 no. You don't need to be scared. This world belongs to Jesus Christ. And you, Christian, are an heir of the throne of Christ. That's a mind boggling thing. I want that to encourage people. Do not be afraid of whatever happens in this world because his dominion is an everlasting dominion. I love that. I, I, I want you to just shout that from the housetops. I want everyone to hear that. Um, God is, owns this world and he is the ruler of this world and he's sitting on his throne right now. And uh, when Christians sit around and they get so sad about the darkness that they see and they just, they put their head down and cry in their Chick-fil-A soup waiting for the rapture, I want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus defeated death. He ascended into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to him. And he said, let's go disciple the nations and let's, let's uh, command them to do everything that I've taught them and I will be with you right? This is like go fight win. It's on. Oh, wow, Move man, forward. I love that. That's exactly right. And the great thing is to, to swing a huge wide net to everybody look, listening. It doesn't matter what your, in my opinion, your eschatology is. And eschatology is just a big word for end time theology. Okay. Whatever you think about any end time theology, it doesn't matter. Either way, there is victory. I don't care what, 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 you, what, what line you fall out on. There is victory, and we do not need to be afraid. I love that message. Christ is reigning now, 
And uh, man, you got me all pumped up. I had to, I had to give a shout. I had to give a Jesus <laughs> shout on that one. <laughs> hey, I, you know, one of the themes that you talk about in some of your albums, uh, like defiance of fear. Skillet yes. has got, you know, a, 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 an image that is not just meek and mild and, and, and gentle with, you know, with a lamb over your shoulders. You're John Cooper with, with a beard and, uh, you know, uh, a bass and a black leather jacket. Talk, uh, talk about defiance and disruption in the right godly kind of a way. Oh, baby, now we're getting into it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know what it is for me? I think when I was in college, um, as we said earlier, I'd been a Christian since I was a kid, but in college is when I got really wrapped up into the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel. It was when all of a sudden I realized, oh, wait a minute, Jesus didn't just die for me, but when Jesus died for me, he set me free from the power of sin and death. That is where the power comes in. And so when I pick up my guitar and I'm playing music, I am expecting to sing songs, not just about a, a salvation when I die that I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm singing songs about the power of the gospel right now as we speak. That is the power. I just feel led to say this, so I'm going to say it. For people watching, some of those young men, there are a lot of young men that struggle with lustful thoughts. Pornography is all over. And a lot of Christian men say, there's no way I could ever stop looking at pornography or this. Yes, you can, because Jesus Christ set you free from the power of those things. Amen. It's not wishful thinking. It is the power of the gospel. So when I pick up my guitar, I ain't afraid of nothing. I ain't afraid of what the world's going to say. I'm not afraid of what the enemy's going to try to do. I'm not afraid of those things because I am walking not in my own power. I'm walking in the power of Jesus Christ, who is, what's the, what's the, what's the word for the, the Bible says? He is interceding for me as we speak right mm. now in the throne room of heaven, in the courts of heaven, Jesus is interceding for me, so he is fighting my battles for me. That is the power of the gospel, and I do think we need, I believe that we need to reclaim that. We are not supposed to be quiet. We are not wimps. We, yes, we're meek, but yes, we are also full of power, and I think that's wonderful. What kind of responses have you gotten from non-Christians, people outside the family of faith, to Skillet's music and its messages? You know, I think the people that are, that, that, are not Christians that, you know, they hear the music and hopefully they like it. Uh, hopefully they rock out to it. You know, I meet people all the time. They're like, I had no idea that you guys were a Christian band when I first heard you. I always like that because it means that, that people that are not saved are not, they don't have this, like, they're not turned off by it. You know, they don't turn it off. They listen, they rock out to it. The messages are come in. What I usually hear from people is basically this skillet, you guys sound so positive. So that they, they, they hear it and they take it as positivity or as like, it's just good feelings because a lot of rock music is about negative feelings. Um, rock music is angry. Rock music is about hating yourself or hating others or about getting even or about revenge um, or, or pain. Our music is about positivity, they would say, and there's something about this that really helps me. I usually get a chance to tell them, I'm so glad that it helps you. I want you to know that thing you're looking for, that is God. God is speaking to you. He is showing you something that is attractive to you. And there's, he's got so many great plans for you if you would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How can people honor God in the music that they listen to? Some people would say, and I've, and I've heard this, uh, God doesn't say, 
I mean, the, I mean, if I read the Bible, it doesn't tell me, you know, which bands to listen to. It doesn't tell me uh, which, which playlist I should or shouldn't have on my, on my phone. How can people honor God right. with what they listen to? Well, you know, it's kind of like we struggle with these two ends of this, don't we? We don't want to be legalistic. You know, we, we don't want to be to the point that it's just like, I will never listen or hear anything that the world does. I don't know how long you're going to live in that society unless you move to a convent or something of that nature. I understand we don't want to be legalistic. At the same time, I think that, I do think, if I could say it in love, I think Christians have created something that's not maybe super healthy by being open and interested in everything that the world has to say and create. And we put it all in front of us 24-7 and we think that it's not going to affect the way that we think. We read our Bibles for five minutes and then we listen to godless evil or watch godless evil for the other 12 hours we're awake and we think that somehow it's not going to affect us. It is going to affect you. So I would just encourage people to remember every aspect of your life belongs to, to Jesus. That's the music you listen to. That's your relationship with your wife, the things that you say, the way you run your business, getting ready for school in the morning, what you're going to wear, the way you dress. Every aspect belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may not all agree on, in other words, people might be watching and be like, John, I don't think you dress like a Christian. I get it. I get it. We might not all agree on everything on this, but I do think it's something you should take to the Lord in prayer to realize what you put into your mind is going to have an effect. It just is. I totally agree with you. Uh, I heard a pastor once say that when it comes to music or movies or the things that you put into your mind, having an open mind about all that stuff is not a virtue. Uh, you don't leave your, your, your front door of your house open all night long. You shut it because there's, there's things inside that you want to protect from things that are outside that are not good. And so when it comes to our mind, we've got to guard our heart, guard our mind, and we need to clamp down on what is true and beautiful and real and protect those things. Uh, and, and that's what I appreciate about you and why I recommend that uh, anybody who's interested in Skillet's music listen to them and particularly listen to the lyrics and the messages that they represent. John, this has been awesome. I could talk to you all day. Uh, I so respect what you're doing and I'm so grateful that you joined us today on Takeaways. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please, Follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show. 